Troy, I got a question for you. Are you ready to delve into Mitch's mind today on the podcast? I don't know. I don't know if I'm ready for this, but sounds like I don't have a choice. Mitch, are you ready for this? I, I guess. You guys, welcome. Okay. Welcome to my mind. <laughs> let, let me show you around. I hear it's kind of noisy in there. Is that true? It can be. Yeah, it's quite loud. All right. Well, uh, today um, we're going to talk about uh, medications for some who um, might have been diagnosed with depression. They're called uh, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, otherwise known as SSRIs. And for individuals that have been prescribed these, sometimes finding that right specific medication can be challenging and a frustrating process. But in the end, it can lead to a lot of different benefits. And that is what producer Mitch has discovered. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about SSRIs, what they are, how they work, how they could benefit somebody, some of the side effects. And then this medication dialing in process, what that could be like, uh, at least in Mitch's experience. This is Who Cares About Men's Health where men talk about health and health issues, and we also provide some information, inspiration, and a different interpretation of your health. I bring the BS. My name is Scott. Countering my BS with his MD is Dr. Troy Madsen. Hey, Scott. That's me. Producer Mitch is on the show again, and uh, a lot of openness talking about his own experience so others can benefit. So thank you, Mitch, for being so open. We appreciate that. Happy to. Happy to share. And also joining us today, our expert, Dr. Scott Langenecker. He's a clinical neuropsychologist from Huntsman Mental Health Institute, and he's going to help us uh, better understand our topic today. How are you doing uh, today, Dr. Uh, Langenecker? Doing well, thanks. Mitch, why do you want to talk about this topic today? And and by the way, no pressure. Um, this no, is just the cool. point where people decide if they're going to keep listening to a podcast or not. So. Oh, okay, sure. Yeah, now let me just nail it here. Um, so one of the things that I really, the reason I really wanted to talk about this is that I had a lot of emotions and hesitancy and just kind of some mental barriers between me right as I was dealing with some pretty severe anxiety, a little bit of depression, and where I am today, because I was afraid of what meds would do, right? I had people telling me that they were going to make me, you know, a zombie, they were going to change the type of person I am. And I want to make sure that we can talk about this plainly and say, hey, here is what my experience has been. Here's how much better I'm doing because of Lexapro and Wellbutrin, right? And then on top of that, the thing that I could, when I was first starting to get on medication, there was a journey of finding the right medication, trying a couple of different things, emotional waves, weird eating habits, et cetera, that my doctor didn't really tell me to expect. And when you go online, it's kind of hard to find people talking about it. So I want to make sure that, you know, we have a chance to at least voice and give someone out there, if you are starting on medication, that this might happen, right? And it's okay. And there's a light at the end of the tunnel. What was your situation like, Mitch, um, before the medications that led you to want to go on the medication or to even consider it? What was that? What was that journey? So I think we've talked a little bit about a little bit before, but I was experiencing uh, what we now kind of know as a kind of general anxiety disorder of sorts, right? Um, Where I was so anxious about so many things. I was nervous about the future. I was nervous about, you know, contracting COVID at the time. You know, I was I was constantly talking poorly about myself and I couldn't get myself out of those types of spirals. And I think I've mentioned before it was to kind of give how out of out of sorts my brain was it was everything like scott we've worked together for a very long time 
Love you. Think you're the super great. If you sent an email that was slightly worded, slightly too directly, I would be a mess. I would be a wreck. I would be afraid that I was going to lose my job. My friend doesn't like me anymore, blah, blah, blah. And there was no real basis for that. It was just all up in my head. And that's what eventually got me into therapy. And we started working through things and doing some behavioral therapy and talk therapy and working through some old traumas and things like that. But it just wasn't quite getting there. We, I wasn't quite getting the peace of mind I was hoping for. The work that I was doing in therapy was not quite getting as effective as it could be. And so I was told, hey, well, maybe, maybe a medication would be right for you. And so I got it. And after a little bit of a rough spot, I, I can't tell you how, how much better things are these days. And you mentioned, Mitch, a little bit of a rough spot that maybe something that's worth exploring a little more and maybe people know about that. What, what exactly do you mean by that, by the, the rough spot? I assume you're talking right after you went on the medication. Yeah, right after I got on the medication, there was a couple weeks where I think the term is titration or titrate. Like you're trying to find what's the right dosage, what's the right drug, what's whatever, what works best in your brain. And um, we, we tried a couple of different doses. We tried a couple of different medications, but um, that that journey was a little different. <laughs> there was a there was some I I cried into I cried into a Wendy's hamburger one day for reasons I cannot explain. <laughs> it just felt wrong, whatever. Um and so yeah, yeah, I wanted to kind of talk about those a little bit. Yeah, and I'm sure Scott will talk more about that too, but I think that's not unusual to have that when you do start the medication that it may feel like things are worse before they get better. And it sounds like that's mm-hmm. kind of what you went through. Mm-hmm. So Dr. Langenecker, what exactly um, was Mitch experiencing from a medical standpoint? Can you explain that? <laughs> yeah. Well, or is it unexplainable? <laughs> well, so, yeah, there's a, a tremendous and and potentially, you know, emotionally overwhelming controversy slash discussion about what these medications actually do, um, how they work, what's the sort of you know, mechanism, uh, at the level of a neuron that actually helps people to process emotions differently. So what we, what we do know based upon what they're called, you know, these selective serotonin, neuropronephrine, and maybe even dopamine, uh, reuptake inhibitors, what they do at a very basic level is they kind of block the vesicle where the, those, um, neurotransmitters, monoamines sort of get sucked back up into the, into the neuron in, in the synapse. And by blocking the reuptake or the reabsorption of those at the level of the synapse, that means more of it is out in the synapse, um, potentially to, you know, to play, uh, to play and to facilitate, um, some of the, the neuronal function. This is at the level of the synapse, uh, and we're talking about, you know, 13 trillion, you know, synapses in the human brain. How that, you know, how the, how we extrapolate that to, you know, Mitch's sensation of, you know, the, the Wendy's hamburger and, and the tears. I mean, this, this is a stretch way beyond my skill set. <laughs> sure. You're right. That's quite a juxtaposition, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Chemical reactions at the, uh, at the synapse level versus uh, that hamburger in Mitch's hands. Yeah, crying into a Baconator in the back 40 of a Sam's Club, I think I was at. Yeah, that's that's very different. There's a long stretch. <laughs> but but they're related. Um, they're yeah. def- they're, okay. def- they're definitely related. 
So, um, you know, there's a couple of different schools of thought about, you know, what, what's going on. Um, one, one school of thought is that there's, you know, sort of this lack of serotonin within the synapse and the, and the neuron can't do the work that it needs to do. And so it kind of, it kind of stumbles around. And if you've got, you know, 13 trillion neurons kind of stumbling around, uh, you know, things, things don't go the way you'd like them to go. I think people are pretty confident that that interpretation is, is probably at its core faulty. And the easiest way to think about that is, um, you know, when you have a headache, uh, what do you treat it with? Like you might grab a, a couple of ibuprofen and your headache might go away. Do we think that you have like an ibuprofen deficiency? Uh, probably not. Uh, you probably have something else going on and the ibuprofen is helping that other process to resolve. And then your headache goes a- away as a result of that. Um, I don't know if that analogy helps, um, but that's kind of, kind of a way to think about it. There's there's a newer uh, line of research that is really kind of mind blowing, which is that we as human beings, you probably heard, you know, we're like seventy percent water, um, and our genetic code is not so much what we are, but it's kind of like we're like a we're like a standard upgrade three D printer that's just changing in real time. Every day, every second, every minute. And so our genetic code is kind of just telling our cells which proteins to create and where to put them and how to build and how to fix and how to set things up. And if you think about this at the level of 13 trillion neurons, it really gives you that humility for how little we understand about how our brains actually do what they do. Maybe we could figure out, you know, like a heart valve, like we can get that down, but like 13 trillion neurons, that's, that's a tall order. And so there's some sense that the um, SSRIs or variants of SSRIs are actually changing the way that um, the uh, RNA accesses the genetic code, um, the way it accesses it, how it uses that information, how it actually, you know, gets about the business of sort of 3D printing um, our, 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 ourselves as we move forward in space. I know that's a lot of detail, but the basic idea, the basic concept is that there might be some sort of rigidity in, in the way that um, the genetic code is, is accessed. And so it doesn't allow for that dynamic re-updating of, of the brain as it's moving forward in real time. So we don't exactly know how they work, but we're pretty confident that they do work. Is that what I'm hearing? We're we're pretty <laughs> confident that for, you know, a hundred people in a room, if I a hundred people in a room with depression or generalized anxiety, if I give them an SSRI, I'm pretty confident. Like I'd take this to Vegas and I'd spend everything I've got that 40, <laughs> 40, 40 of those people um are going to feel a lot better. Now, okay. if you told me in Vegas, I want you to pick which 40 of those people are going to feel oh, a lot sure. better, I would not okay. make the bet. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. I feel like I got a little bit of insight. I think Mitch nailed it. It's like, I feel like uh, on one hand, when medications are prescribed, the people prescribing them or the people that created them know exactly what mechanisms are being altered to create the desired outcome. But I feel that that's not necessarily the case. I feel like it's kind of we've discovered that this particular compound makes people feel better when they don't feel good. Is, yeah. is that accurate? 
It is. And and we talked about this before, like I'd say over 90% of our breakthroughs in depression in particular have been sort of serendipitous. Like, you know, we tried treating, uh, you know, patients with Parkinson's and tremors with, you know, this drug and, you know, their mood got better. Or we tried, you know, slowing down people's um, seizures for epilepsy with this medication and this got better. And, you know, in almost all of those instances, it didn't actually work at all for what it was intended to do. But we had the system set up where we could observe people and notice that their mood improved and that that mood improvement was sustained. So what you're telling us, Scott, is essentially SSRIs are like Tang. Like the space nice. program produced Tang, other research produced SSRIs, <laughs> and we found other uses. That's kind of what I'm hearing here. But it is interesting well, to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, there's a darker side to this. And this goes back to the stigma that we've been talking about, which is we kind of had this thought in the back of our mind for a really long time that people were just kind of built a certain way. And that they were, you know, weaker and that their character was flawed. And we didn't really think about like mood and anxiety as like, hey, that's probably a medical condition. And so we didn't put a lot of money into understanding it. And so a lot of our breakthroughs have been just kind of random, lucky breakthroughs from people trying to fix some other problem that we invested money in. And I I feel like also that like, First of all, I've, I've often said that the human body is just a big chemistry experiment, right? And we're just a, uh, a centimeter away out of being out of balance from a chemical standpoint. So here's how I'm interpreting what I'm hearing. When Mitch was given maybe the initial SSRI, because that's a class of drugs. There's a lot of drugs that fall within that category. Yeah. It did some stuff in that chemistry that um, was not necessarily in the direction we wanted to go. And we don't know why but it just kind of didn't work. So we got to try something else to see if that would be better. Well, yes. I mean, the easiest way to think about it is we are, let's just say for, for purposes of hypotheticals, there's a certain subset of, you know, 2000 neurons of the 13 trillion we have that are just kind of out of whack uh, when somebody is experiencing depression And what do we do? Well, we give people a tablet. The tablet has the medicine in it. It goes into their GI tract. It gets, you know, transferred through their liver, goes through the bloodstream. Maybe it goes through the blood brain barrier and some percentage of, 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 of what we sent them originally. And then maybe some of that is actually making it to those 2000 neurons that need a a little pep talk. Uh, and, Along the way, there's all sorts of other cells that are like, what the heck is this stuff? This stuff is not good for me. And so we, we're kind of fighting between the systems that really need the, the medication and the systems that are kind of like, well, I didn't really ask for that. And, and as an example, um, you know, I, I'm sure we've all heard, hey, you are what you eat. Well, it turns out that um, a lot of the microbiota in our in our lower GI, like they create serotonin, like they're actually they're involved in this whole party. And we've never known that for like forever. And so we're sending these meds down into that same same spot in our lower GI and sort of thinking like, well, nothing bad will happen. Like it'll work out okay. 
Um, and so it takes a while for the body to kind of equilibrate in all of these other areas where the meds are going where we don't really want them to go. In terms of spinoffs, it's fascinating that so many big blockbuster drugs, because SSRIs are blockbuster drugs, like they're one of the most prescribed medications. Uh, another blockbuster drug, Viagra, was also discovered by accident as well. That was discovered when they were investigating uh, a, a heart medication. Yeah. And then all these men were reporting erections. <laughs> yeah. Awkward. Awkward. They found it. Yeah. So often that, that process of yeah. discovery kind of follows that path. But it sounds like SSRIs were similar in, in terms of that route. Yeah. And, and a lot of the data we have, you know, suggesting SSRIs are effective, you know, are, are, are data from, from mice, you know, when, when we put them into a tub of water, they'll, they'll swim longer. Um, when we put them into an open maze, they'll go into the scary spots more often. A lot of these sort of analogies to what is depression and anxiety are, are a bit of a stretch. Um, the real proof in the pudding is, you know, and I hear these stories all the time of, you know, I was on vacation and I forgot my meds at home. And when I came back, I was just in a bad space. Or, you know, I, I accidentally switched the medications and I was off for a couple of weeks and things went downhill. So, you know, for those 40 out of 100 people that these medications are helpful for, they're really helpful. They're, they're, it's not just accidental. Now, I have to be the, the skeptic in the room because that's my job here, uh, because I know there's someone listening who's thinking this and has heard this. There have been some studies and there's been a little bit of press attention in recent years of studies suggesting that uh, SSRIs are no better than placebo. What are your thoughts on those studies? And have you seen those and and uh, heard others cite those or did that, that ever come up when you talk to people about SSRIs? Yeah, I, l I love this question. For two reasons. The first reason why I love this question is because it convinces me um, that human beings are in the business of recovery. So if I give you a sugar pill and you're feeling awful, the natural inclination for a lot of people is just to start feeling better. And if you think about the analogy I was talking before about a real-time 3D printer, like nobody... Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, oh, I feel awful. And I, I think I want to feel awful for another three months. I, I think that's probably a good idea. Right. Like everybody wants to feel better. And it turns out we're super creative. We're good problem solvers. And so some subset of people just need a little bit of, I use the word permission, encouragement, whatever you want to do to sort of kick off that healing response. Is it really a placebo? Probably not. Is it just that little nudge that people need to to do what they probably wanted to do or, or were hoping to do anyway? Absolutely. Now, added to that, if you follow those placebo responders long enough, you'll actually find out that that placebo continues for a good number of people, um, but it doesn't for other people. They actually get sick again. And if you give people SSRIs for a long period of time and you continue to give them SSRIs for a long period of time, many more of those people will stay well over time than the people who initially responded to the placebo. So the placebo is a good thing. We love it. It's actually, most people complain about it. I think it's awesome. I think it convinces me of the magic of the magic of being human. Uh, but it may not be enough to sustain wellness for some people. 
That's interesting. So it, it essentially what you're saying is a lot of these studies, short term, people receiving the placebo, essentially a sugar pill. It's that hope of improvement that seems to elevate their mood, maybe treat anxiety, the hope of being able to heal. But like you said, the long-term sustained effects, you really just see that with the SSRIs then. Well, and, and as absolutely agree. And as Mitch has told us, you know, the, the SSRIs are, are a piece of the puzzle. Like Mm -hmm. you want to, you want to get to the point where you're going to do some work, um, in therapy or, you know, in life in general, where you're going to make some changes. Um, you know, I use the example all the time. It's a tired example. Like if you're using the same ingredients to make your chili, it's probably going to taste the same. So even though we might add a little bit of SSRI, we might need to actually change the way we make the chili, change a few other ingredients so that it actually gets us where we want to go. It it tastes better. Mitch, take us through kind of your process with it. You talked about, you know, when you first started a particular SSRI Mm -hmm. that it uh, it kind of, you know, you, you had some unexpected, unwelcome kind of responses. What was that process of dialing that in like? It was it was kind of shocking. Like when we're talking about brain chili or whatever, like the first I love it. Brain chili. (laughs) Brain chili. So when it came to my brain chili, we put a little bit of like I had already been trying to do the work. I'd already been trying to do one thing or another. And I just I I was doing therapy every week to try to get better, et cetera. And it just wasn't quite getting where we needed to go. So tried the pill the very first day, and that is it was within four to five hours stuff started to feel different. Um, at the start, there was like maybe a pretty good feeling, but I started to feel nauseous for a while. I got just dizzy for a bit. That was kind of strange. I was told it would probably pass. Uh, the next day I took the pill, I was suddenly very irritable all day long. I was picking fights with anyone and everyone who wanted to like wrong me that day in some small slight or whatever. I've never been one particularly with road rage, but that day I was very, very angry. Third day, I'm suddenly crying again into the, into my burger at the, like, why am I eating a burger? You know, it was just bad. And I reached out to my doctor and it was the answer I got back was basically like, it can take some time to get used to these meds and some weird things can happen when you're trying to get on them. But it wasn't until that first weekend, we're talking like a week on the meds, suddenly I didn't feel anything. I didn't feel any, any weirdness. I didn't feel any, anything. And I thought maybe the drugs had stopped working or maybe I'd become used to them. But after talking to my therapist and my doctor, that's kind of what we're hoping that it feels like, right? That you just feel normal, but maybe just a little less reactive or maybe just a little less likely to go down the dark path or maybe a little less likely to listen to the angry depression monster on your shoulder or whatever, right? You just, it's a little easier to pack, to do all of these things. But man, oh man, and that's why I want to talk about a little bit today is that that first week I'm on Reddit, I'm like, uh, I have an upset stomach or, hey, what the hell is going on in this way? Or like, what is anyone else feeling extraordinarily like this on the first week of their pills? And uh, there wasn't a whole lot of resources on that. A lot of people just saying, yeah, the first week can be rough. Like that's the euphemism they use, rough. And it was just like, wow. I was not expecting all this. So was it just a week for you, bitch, or did it last longer? 
Uh, a little over a week. I think I was still have, feeling a little irritable for a little bit afterwards. But yeah, it, it took me about a week to get used to everything. Dr. Langenecker, does that, um, is that experienced differently by many different people? Is that maybe why Mitch wasn't finding specifics or people don't vocalize specifics or? Well, there's a lot of different stories out there. So let's start with our, well, let's start with our sort of our baseline, right? Our baseline is things are not going well in Mitch's brain, right? Mitch, Mitch is doing all sorts of stuff to try and, to try and fix that. He's going to therapy. He's doing stuff on his own. He's, he's making all sorts of changes, not quite there. And now we introduce uh, a medication. And as I alluded to before, this medication goes through the GI tract, right? It goes through the cardiovascular system. It interacts with your microbiota. It interacts with your autonomic nervous system. And eventually it after a couple of weeks, Mitch, your response is a little, a little on the early side, but after a couple of weeks, it actually gets the desired change in those neuronal targets, you know, pretty far away from, from where, you know, from where the liver is unpacking that stuff. And along the way, all of these other systems are like thinking, whoa, wait a second, didn't ask for this. What is this stuff doing? Um, you know, what is this stuff doing to the system? And so some of the side effects, you know, some people actually feel more agitated at first, which is a little counterintuitive. Some people get that dizziness. Some people get the nausea and indigestion. And the way we report, you know, in drug trials is like, you know, 17% of the people experienced dizziness and 13% had impotence and 2% had indigestion. It's not a user-friendly framework for somebody saying, hey, why is this happening to me? To add to that, you know, we're, we're introducing a change in a system that isn't working so well. And so when you introduce change in a system that's not working so well, other things can pop up. Um, I, I know that's kind of a oversimplified explanation, but as we've alluded to before, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not a physician. I'm, I'm a researcher studying this, you know, from a, from a different sort of angle. Mitch, was it just uh, the singular medication and then just had to kind of go through the week, 10 day process, or did you try some different medications? So lucked out with the first one, uh, for my generalized anxiety, Lexapro spot on. We uh, did tweak the dosage a little bit after a couple of weeks after I got used to it. They moved me up to a higher dosage so I'd have more of the effects. Um, and that was a pretty decent, that was, there wasn't a huge shift when they went from going from zero to whatever my first milligram dose was, was rough. Going from the second to the third was not a big deal. Um, however, a couple of months later when I was, um, still having issues with depression and I talked to my PCP, he suggested I get on Wellbutrin and it was the same thing again. It took about a week, two weeks or so until I started feeling normal again. I was having all sorts of weird symptoms again, uh, or side effects. And then, uh, then back to normal. Did you swap so. meds or did you just add the Wellbutrin? We added on top. There's a whole bunch of ingredients in my brain chili. So <laughs> a lot of special sauce. A lot of special sauce. Like so um, how are you feeling about that, Mitch? I mean, like, you know, we talk about the stigma, right, of being on medication um, and how you were kind of raised that it's a moral failing or there's something mm -hmm. wrong with you. You know, you're not just on one pill. You're on a couple of pills now. Yeah. Um, so how, how are you handling that? Uh, it was a little weird when I had to get like my, you know, uh, mental health advent calendar thing, you know, where I got my little pill organizer and had to like fill it every week and make sure I have my dosages right. Like there was something that made me feel like I was 
a, I was a sick person, right? I was an unwell person. But what really shifted and changed for me and really kind of made me get over a lot of that stigma that I, you know, was so deep in me was actually the work I was doing with my therapist. And just like Scott just kind of mentioned, yeah, some stuff came up when we got my anxiety meds all figured out. Like we found a lot of there were things there was traumatic events in my past. There was all of this stuff that I was unable to even allow myself to think about or work through. And suddenly, by turning down the volume just a little bit of the noise in my head to just soften some of the more reactive parts of my brain just a little bit, I could actually work through some of those. And it allowed us to make some really great breakthroughs that have significantly helped my self-esteem, significantly helped my understanding of who I am and where I am in the world, etc. And, you know, it's... One of the things that keeps getting talked about is that I might not have to be on these all the time. Maybe we'll see. Like it's, you know, kind of a, you know, if we remove this ingredient, is it going to change the way that your brain works? But it, it has allowed for a lot of, a lot of growth. So. And I'm curious about that, what you just mentioned, Mitch and, and Scott, maybe you can speak to that. When people start an SSRI, how long should they expect to be on it? Should they say, this is something I'm going to be on for the rest of my life? Or are there a number of people who eventually transition off an SSRI or what are your, what's your experience with that? Yeah. The current, the current recommendations are if you start an SSRI and you experience benefit, you probably will be on that. Should be, should is such a strange word to use when we're talking about um, depression and anxiety, but it's best practice uh, to be on that for at least two years. Uh, and to, to what Mitch described here, I think the, the reason why we've learned that it has to be that long is not necessarily all because of the effect of the medication. It's, it's just this reality. If you're going to make changes in your life that can potentially minimize or mitigate or reduce some of the emotional upheaval, some of the noise in the brain uh, that, that Mitch was talking about, it's going to take a bit. It's going to take a bit for yeah. you to sort of get those changes into a habit, into a structure. Um, and then it's going to take a little bit longer for the people who love you and maybe the people who think they love you, but <laughs> love you less than they should to accept yep. those changes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and during that time, like you might need that little boost. Um and so that's kind of the, the, the rule of thumb is it, it's a, it's a bit of a helper, uh, along the way, but those changes, changes are hard. Changes are hard to make and they're hard to sustain. And so two years is a good number. There's some folks who, you know, go to 20, uh, or 30, um, but, but most everybody should expect, you know, about two years. But it seems like one of the themes that is coming up here just in what you said and what Mitch has talked about as well is it's not just about the SSRI. It's not just yeah. about the pill. It's about therapy and making additional changes. And then, like you said, maybe then you get to a point where those changes are enough where eventually you might transition off the SSRI, but that's just one piece of the puzzle. Yeah. One, one way I like to think about it is, you want to get to a period of homeostasis where you feel pretty good about yourself, um, about the world around you, about the people you're interacting with. 
And that takes a bit. Uh, and sometimes when you take the medication and you start to feel a little bit better and you start talking with a therapist about it, you sort of identify some of the relationships and some of the people that are triggers for you. And then you start to work through, well, do I have to be triggered by this person? You know, do I have to interact with this person? Uh, you know, what part of it is that person? What part of it's me? What part of it's the relationship? And, you know, so much of the work is really re reimagining your relationship with yourself and with other people. The, the medication gives you a, a little bit of space, a little bit of space to do that thinking without so much emotion. Mitch, is there, um, you know, talking about your experience, you hope that maybe you could help other people since there seems to be a lack of kind of that information. Yeah. Is there something else about your experience with the SSRIs that you wanted to make sure that you got out into the world? Uh, just that it it has helped a lot of people. The medication has, and it's helped people like me. And with how I'm feeling now and the progress I'm making today, I would deal with that week or two of feeling kind of crappy over and over again. I would always have made that choice. And so there's might be no might might have been nice to know that it could have been as bad yeah. as it was. Maybe yeah, but, yeah. Maybe it would have been like nice how to... long it's going to last. So you know, <laughs> all right, just a few more days. Kind of like when you quit smoking, for example. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like I did not know when I quit smoking or that my shifts in nicotine levels it was going to cause such an emotional response. And then, but but in that case, there are people out there, addiction specialists and things like that, that have talked about very openly on Reddit and places like that about hey, you might have some weird feelings after you quit nicotine. But same thing, if you're changing something with your brain, it might take some time. But if you are one of those 40 people that it could really help, if you're someone like me, like it is 100% worth it to go through those that that rough patch. Just night and day for you, like your mm -hmm. life is noticeably better. Very much so. It's it's every it's it's mostly in my ability to do the work, the mostly in my ability to work with my therapist and actually try the things that I'm thinking about of speaking to myself more positively or um, stopping and listening better in my communication with my relationships and things like that. It used to be I was so high strung, so anxious, so whatever that I couldn't, I couldn't focus. I couldn't give myself a breath or a break. Everything was at like code red all the time. And I can't make any improvement on that system if it's that sensitive. And so by turning it down a little bit, I've been actually able to work on things and self-esteem and anger issues and, you know, hyperfixations on things. I've been able to actually work on those and get better at them. And it just, I wasn't able to before. I just could not. And so it's allowed me to improve my life. I, I feel, Troy, like there's a parallel between some of the other topics we've talked about on the podcast, like sometimes you need to, you know, uh, we've talked about testosterone therapy. Maybe, you know, maybe you need that because your energy's slow and you can't exercise, right? It's not the thing that's going to make you better. It's the thing that is then going to allow you to do the things that will make you feel better, whether that's eat better or exercise or be able to do the, the uh, mental work as well. I would imagine that's pretty important, isn't it, Dr. Langenecker, for people to realize it's not just the pill. That's just kind of a beginning point that allows you to do the things that are really going to get you to a place where maybe you've never been before. Yeah. I mean, we talked about, you know, this sort of, sort of thing before, 
self-improvement, if we want to use that, that old phrase or, or building resilience or recovery, whatever framework you want to think about it, it's a journey. Uh, it's a journey and, you know, medication for many people, you know, I said 40 out of 40 out of a hundred, um, that's, you know, if I said, Hey, Hey, you hundred people, I want 40 of you to take Prozac or I want all of you to take Prozac, 40 would get better. And then if I said, Oh man, 60 of you didn't get better with Prozac. I want, I want you all to try Wellbutrin. And then, uh, 20 of those, uh, you know, 60 are going to do better with Wellbutrin. And then, you know, the 40 who didn't get better with Prozac and Wellbutrin, like, Hey, let's try, you know, trans transcranial magnetic stimulation and another 13 of those folks get better. We sort of just chip, chip away at it here. So the, the basic idea is sometimes, sometimes you need just a little, a little bit of, uh, a little bit of something, something to get you, to get you started. Uh, and then, and then you're moving along the right path. And, you know, for depression and anxiety, like you're feeling good about the path. Like you're feeling like it's yeah. a, it's a good journey to be on. I, I want to sort of put a, a public service announcement, uh, bit in, bit in here, sort of two, Two basic things. One, one is most people when they start taking these medications, the dose is too low. Um, and the reason why the dose is too low is because PCPs have, have, I mean, they've learned, maybe they don't talk about it like they didn't talk about it with you, Mitch, but they've learned that people are really uncomfortable with the side effects. And so, you know, they're pragmatists. They're like, okay, let's get, let's get a medication started. Let's try and keep the side effects low so that the person actually continues to take the medication. And that's kind of the default stance. And then what happens is sometimes people don't go to that second step or the third step. And so they're really kind of undertreated. And so, you know, anybody out there, if you, if you've tried a medication for depression, an SSRI or SNRI, you're like, Oh, that really didn't work for me. Most of you, most of you didn't get a high enough dose, um, or didn't take it long enough. That doesn't mean that it's going to work for everybody. I think I've made it clear these meds aren't going to work for everybody, but oh, for goodness sakes, give yourself enough of a shot. Um, to see whether it'll help you. Um, and that's a, that's a safe question to ask your, your, your doc. Hey, I've been taking this for a couple of weeks. Is this the right dose? Do we need to go up? Um, is this a therapeutic dose? Um, I know that may be an uncomfortable question to ask, but it's a really important question. Well, Troy, that wasn't too bad. Mitch's mind wasn't one <laughs> as bad as I expected it to be. It was all right. Good. You know, it's a we, happy place now, which is fantastic or happier. I don't, you know, happy. Oh yeah, sure. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. We took a swim in the brain chili and we, we came out of it. Okay. <laughs> it's all we're, right. we're finding a way well, to have fewer, less, less chili, less chili, less chili powder. Yeah. Less chili exactly. powder. Yeah. I spicy. hope that this is helpful to somebody listening. Uh, if you, um, have been experiencing, uh, you know, symptoms that perhaps an SSRI could help, or if you've been on an SSRI and you've experienced those side effects, maybe didn't get the benefits. I think Dr. Langenecker gave us some great advice to, you know, ask questions about the dosage, the time you're on it. Maybe, you know, you need to try a, a different type of SSRI medication, uh, to get it dialed in and then just be ready to do, you know, the work and, Mitch, I just love hearing your story about how much better you feel and how things are going. So thank you for, you know, sharing that. Happy to. I hope 
someone out there is going through something similar and give yourself a chance, right? Give yourself a chance to be better. And you deserve, you deserve to feel better. Uh, we've talked about it before. It doesn't have to be this hard. Yeah. If, if you're struggling, you know, give it a shot. Uh, we're here to help. And yeah, Mitch, too, I think, too, just the fact that you're willing to talk about it, it's a big part of just removing the stigma. I think that's a big barrier for a lot of people. And just knowing that there are a lot of people taking medications and you just need that extra help sometimes. Mm -hmm. And so it's great you're willing to share that. Yeah, no problem. Dr. Langenecker, thank you for being on the show. Mitch, for thanks for sharing. And thank you for caring about men's health. Thanks, everybody.